Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Father, we thank you that you've made it possible for us to come together this morning, the latter part of the morning, to give you the glory, honor, and praise that are due unto your name. We know, Father, that without you, we are nothing, and that without you, we can do nothing, but that with you, all things are possible to him that believeth. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your providence. We thank you for your making a way for us, making a way through the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for us to be reseated, for us to be repositioned with you in the heavenly places. Thank you for it. And because Jesus Christ has paid the price, because he is the price that was paid, and he rose from the dead to prove that you accepted the payment. He is our receipt. And because of his being our receipt, we are blessed to have been reseated. You said that we have been raised up together with him, seated together with him on the throne of God. Father, it is mind boggling, but it is always your intent, not merely to blow our minds, but to grow them. We ask you to grow us until we can comprehend together with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And we give you glory for all of this now. We thank you for taking care of our kingdom professionals. Thank you, Lord, for opening the door for them, making the way for them, taking care of their physical needs, their emotional and psychological needs, helping them to overcome the stresses cope with the natural stresses, but overcome every toxic and every traumatic stress. And oh God, we thank you that you're working in our minds to help us to understand that we are equal in the sight of God. And therefore we have no justification or right to be oppressive or to be oppressed where any other individual is concerned. And we give you praise for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Father. We glorify you. Hallelujah. The, the embrace of the Pauline teaching of unity. That's why anybody who reads what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2 about women and twists that to mean that Paul is anti-women, he's a bigot, and he's a chauvinist, Clearly, they don't understand Paul. And more importantly, they don't understand the God of Paul. The whole point of Paul, Paul is the great, he is, he is the New Testament equivalent to Moses. He is the New Testament equivalent to Moses. Uh, so much so that even as Moses had the theophany and the Christophany of the burning bush to usher him into his destiny, Moses or, or, or Paul has the Damascus Road shining light to usher him into his destiny. They really are parallel somewhat with regard to the two covenants. And uh, even though the 12 apostles of the Lamb are unique, God used Paul in a way that none of the rest of them were used. God knew that disproportionately the gospel would go to and be received by the Gentile world, which is much larger than the Jewish world. And he equipped this man who himself was a Jew to articulate the gospel in such a way that Jew and Gentile would be able to embrace it. He's the great liberator. So to have the great liberator come around and bind half of the human uh, race is, uh, is rather unlikely, rather unlikely. All right, so uh, uh, we definitely, as we look at sexual assault, that's the, that's what brought it on. As we look at sexual assault, 
sexual assault in the mind of certain perpetrators. And, and, and it's been stated many times that sexual assault and sexual abuse is not about the sex itself. It is about power. It is, it is about a power play, a power grab. And people who are insecure need a sense of superiority over someone else. And that does not come from God because God does not give us insecurity. Insecurity is just another word for fear. And God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so what that tells us is that, that those who are bigots and those who oppress others, whatever way, sexually, economically, politically, ethnically, that these are people who are afraid of something. And in many instances, they are afraid of their own lack of healthy identity and healthy self-image. Because when you know who you are, you don't waste a lot of energy, energy trying to dominate someone else because you're too fulfilled discovering and uncovering the you that God made. So insecurity, Brother Lee, insecurity is actually a fancy word for fear. All right. Well, we have been, uh, we have adopted as our theme for this time, for this series, we've adopted God of the macrocosm. He's bigger than that. The word macro means big or large. Cosm is derivative of cosmos, which means world or order or arrangement. One of the reasons why it was so appropriate to have Sister Lana on with us is because one of the titles of her profession is cosmetologist. And I was in a conversation with the young man that I'm about to bring uh, forward. And one of the things that, that we were talking about is the fact that sometimes there are people who veer away from the faith because of the fact that they have this idea that the God of their faith and thus their faith, the faith of their fathers and mothers, the faith of their past, is too small to encompass the realities of life and the realities of their professional aspirations or the realities of their disciplines, of their studies, of their thought processes, that somehow the faith of God in Christ is a bit too confining or too narrow to encompass their vastness. And we began by saying, if you recall, that Jesus Christ does call us to walk the narrow way. But he did not say that we have to walk the narrow way with a narrow mind. The narrow way speaks of discipline. It speaks of self-denial. It speaks of persistence. It speaks of understanding the exclusivity of the claims of Jesus Christ and the place of Jesus Christ in reality. But the narrow way does not mean that we don't encompass all of the various sectors of human existence, embrace them, enhance them, master them, serve in them and through them. Never, not ever, did God make any such insistence and place any such encumbrance upon his people. That was done in many cases with good intentions. That was done by religionists. That was done by people who meant well in many instances but didn't do well because they created a narrow God. 
rather than a narrow way into the fullness of God. If you're going to be a great athlete, there's a narrow way to become one. There's not 101 ways to become a great athlete. It's a narrow way. It's going to take exercise. It's going to take consistent practice. It's going to take learning the fundamentals. It's going to take executing them over and over and over and over. It's going to take denying yourself from other pleasures while other people are doing other things, while other people are eating other things, while other people are going other places. You're in the gym. Are you on the court? Are you on the field? Are you in the weight room? You understand what I'm saying? It's a narrow way. The, the way to greatness, the way to greatness is a narrow way. The way to greatness in any aspect of living. You see, all truth is God's truth and God's truth is all truth. So when he says narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it, listen to what he's saying, kingdom professional. You're going to exist by virtue of the fact that you're here. You're here, you're breathing. So you're going to exist. But to go from mere existence to the high level of existence called living, you'll only get to the high level of existence called living through a narrow way. For Michael Jackson to become the great entertainer that he became, there was a narrow way. For Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey, whoever else you want to name as a prototype in their field, for them to become that, they had to come a narrow way. So don't turn your nose up at Jesus when he says that there's a narrow way for you to get to life. But the narrow way has nothing to do with having a narrow mind. That comes from ignorance. Our God is God of the macrocosm. And whenever you embrace his principles, whenever you investigate his principles, what you find is that they are universally applicable. They are applicable in every sector, every sphere of our existence. So yes, he did say narrow way, unapologetically said it, but not with a narrow mind. I could go much deeper into that one, but I don't want to get anybody upset, okay? All right. So one of the aspects of the macrocosm that our God um, provide, provides and presides over is the esthete. He's the one who put all of the beauty. He's the one who put all of the textures. He's the one who put all of the symmetry in the universe. Geometry, geo, earth, metry, measure, the measuring of the earth, the shapes, the dimensions, and all of that of the earth. All of that is a glimpse into the mind of God. When you read Genesis chapter one and you read Genesis chapter two, you're watching the esthete at work. He is so much the supreme esthete that when the designers and when the fashion moguls decide to change colors, they copy his seasons and the colors of God's seasons become the colors of our fashions. God doesn't go to the Paris catwalks to decide how to make the textures and the colors of fall. The folk in, on the catwalks copy his colors. He is the supreme esthete. All of the shapes that we derive from Geo, Geo got it from Dio. That is, the earth got it from God. God, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. He is God of the macrocosm. And uh, remember the illustration that we talked about. Uh, Sister Lana brought it forward. I tried to tell cosmetologists that as 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 far fetched or as unrelated as cosmetology might seem from ministry. You know, I, I I'm no I I'm not a cosmetologist. Oh no, I'm in the ministry. I I I work for God. Yeah, fine. What I tried to allow the cosmetologist to see 
is that cosmo in cosmetology means order or structure, arrangement, world. And that the opposite of that is chaos. In the Greek, chaos, cosmos. In the Hebrew, tohu vabohu. In the hood, toe up from the floor. Okay. So, so in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Greek, chaos, uh, Hebrew, tohu vabohu, hood, toe up from the floor. The Bible says, and God took his time and brought cosmos out of chaos, rearranged cosmos, uh, chaos until it became cosmos. What I said is, when that cosmetologist does his or her work, they are doing in the micro what God did in the macro. And my question is, uh, my, my, my inquiry is, I wonder how many cosmetologists realize that they are actually mimicking their creator every time they serve one of their clients, one of their customers, that they're actually microcosmically imitating the macrocosmic God. In other words, arranging their world, cosmic. Isn't that something? And where, where, where are we using our text? Psalm 34.3. Psalm 34.3 says what? Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We use two other texts this morning Then I'm going to bring our guest. We use two other texts this morning. The Bible says here in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, the eons were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Or in other words, everything that exists naturally has the subsistence of the supernatural. Those scientists, of which there are many, if not most, that believe in the Big Bang as the origin of the universe, believe that time, matter, space, and energy all had a beginning. That time, matter, space, and energy all had, that nature had a beginning. Now, some are trying to backpedal on it now because of its logical implications. <laughs> They're trying to backpedal on it now because of the logical implications. Because if time had a beginning and space had a beginning, and matter had a beginning, and energy had a beginning, Then, and, and that's nature, then nature could not have brought nature into existence. Nature needed something beyond nature to bring it into existence. And the prefix for beyond or above is super. In other words, nature, the natural, came into existence by virtue of something above and beyond the natural. By definition, that would have to be something or someone supernatural. That's, that's what we define as God. Someone who is timeless, spaceless, immaterial, and all-powerful. That sounds like God. So in other words, logically, science demands God. We won't give the other text in the interest of time. I'm going to bring a young man who is, Brother William says he's a barber. I like that. I like that. Let, let, I, I need to pull that up. Brother Paul Williams says he's a barber. He did not learn that in barber school back in 2001. They didn't tell you in barber school, Brother Williams, that you were emulating your creator when you got that brother's head in order or that sister's head in order. Yes, sir. You were taken there from chaos to cosmos. Yes, sir. You're emulating God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth his handiwork. Well, I'm giving you the text after all. That's Psalm 19, 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Make note of these. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, the way you understand the invisible attributes of God is by looking at the visible functions of his world, nature and even humanity at its best. It's a reflection. It's microcosmically portraying the macrocosmic God. All right. Let's um let's let's move now. Uh brother Williams. All right. So so one other thing brother Williams, you're responsible to help that that barber mentee of yours, that individual who's saying Mr. Williams or Mr. Paul or whatever they call you. Um I want to join I want to get in your profession. I I I I want to get in your field. And you might not tell him the first day or tell her the first day, but as you continue to work with him or her and that person, number one, expect, uh, respects your expertise and number two, respects your voice, you get to the point where you're able to, sh to share with them the secret of who you really are and what really happens in that barber chair, that that barber chair is your pulpit. Okay. All right. Let's... um. Let's call for our dear brother. He's been waiting patiently, or at least waiting. I trust, I trust patiently. Uh, I'm glad for uh, brother Dan, Daniel James II. Um, he is a fine young man, uh, and um, he is um, is distinguished. He's been uh, a, a distinguished young man for some time, I, all his life. But I say distinguished through his accomplishments sometime as the world has become aware of uh, who he is and what God has called him to be. He is a student at Cornell uh, University in the greater New York uh, area, and we are honored for him. And uh, I am certain that we will all be blessed through his presentation. Brother James, God bless you, sir. Praise the Lord, Bishop. God bless you. God bless the uh, Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals as well. Hello to everybody. Sir, it's an honor to have you with us today. As you know, um, I'm I'm delighted that um, that you would take the time. He's he's getting very close to graduation, commencement, and uh, I think it's important for all of us to understand, even as he and many other young people understand, and others need to understand that even those terms are instructive. If graduation is understood correctly, the root grad or grade means step. And of course, commence means beginning. So none of that means I'm done. <laughs> none of that. It means I'm stepping higher, stepping further. And of course, commitment, commencement means we're getting started. All right. So now I would encourage you, as I see someone has done, I would encourage you to invite some others to partake in this because there may be some young person that you'd like to get on who will hear from a more youthful perspective through youthful eyes and so forth. And that's as it should be. Brother Daniel, once again, thank you, sir, for joining us. Thank you for taking out the time. I know that this is a busy time in, in, in many regards. I'm excited about what's happening. Tell us a little bit about your journey to and through Cornell. Give us some highlights about your matriculation in this historic universe. First and foremost, I just want to say thank you to my pastor. Thank you, Bishop, for this opportunity. Uh, truly, I can say it begins with Marion, South Carolina. I, I'm from rural Marion, uh, South Carolina. That's often how I began. A lot of people haven't heard of it before, uh, but hopefully after after they, 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 they know who I am, they, they know a little bit, a glimpse of, of what uh, my hometown is about. I would say really it started um, really with me going away. I, when I was 15 years old, I had the opportunity to go to boarding school uh, in Massachusetts. And uh, it was a full scholarship opportunity. It had a lot of implications in terms of me leaving uh, my, my hometown, leaving my ministry, uh, leaving my mother, uh, who, if she's here, hey, mom. Uh, and uh, and I think that 
for the opportunity of, for a better education. Uh, you know, you said something that was very powerful. You talked about uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ being the message of social justice. And I think that it was there that I really honed it. You know, I, I was at a predominantly black high school, so I didn't, being African-American or being a black young man was not, you know, uh, significant because I was in a setting where most of us look like me. But uh, I would say when I came there, it was my first time being, oh, you're not just a student, you are an African-American student. Um, and then if you add being a Christian on top of that, I mean, you were just a minority inside of a minority and minority. And I think it was there that I gained uh, not just, I gained a better knowledge of of the circumstances that I always grown up in. We talked about, you know, our hometown uh, being in the recession before there was a recession. Well, they gave me the language for it. They gave me the education that was needed for it. Uh, we always, you know, talk about, um, you know, being uh, oppressed and 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 the issues that result in racism. Um, just being from the South, the nature of the South, one of the birthplaces of the Civil Rights Movement. Well, there I gained the necessary knowledge inside the classroom to articulate what I wanted to do, not uh, to stay away from my home, but to then come back to my home and make sure that I make the impact necessary. I say all that to say, I do end up at Cornell University from there. Um, it, you know, feeds, you know, it's sort of like a feeder into elite universities, that type of thing. And, um, and lo and behold, I end up at Cornell, similar place in terms of a predominantly uh, white institution. Um, but this one course for every study is sort of the philosophy that they have there. I end up being an industrial and labor relations major, which is what I am now, which studies the workplace. Uh, but he, being here, I've been able to sort of cultivate my own experience, my own unique uh, experience uh, in terms of leadership, which I would say uh, is something also I was I was raised on, which was uh, that uh, leadership. Every man was born was born to be a leader, or at least God put in every person that leadership capacity. And I can also thank my pastor for that as well. Um, and, uh, and and since here, uh, I've done a couple of things. One of the biggest things has been um, a podcast, a radio show called Black Voices on the Hill, where I get to talk a lot about these issues that relate to race, that relate to uh, a lot of issues that come with being a minority in a predominantly white space. Uh, and uh, But also one of the things that I always find it Interesting is when I talk to young people of faith, uh, young, especially young Christians, when I talk to them about, you know, um, sh share with me something that your faith has taught you uh, over these years. Tell me how you got to where you got. And um, I remember in the last episode that I had, uh, he talked about um, his name was Richmond and he was actually in fashion, which is uh, goes back to the aesthetics thing. And he talked about being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And uh, he mentioned that and, and, and was saying how uh, that carried him. And I think that sometimes you come to institutions like these that you assume are, are atheists, anti-God, anti-Christ, and you don't realize that really it's the trick of the enemy uh, to make you think that no one wants God, no one wants Jesus, no one wants to know the word of God, no one wants to carry um, carry with them what really made them. Um, but the truth is, Haggai says in chapter two, caused, uh, says that the desire of all nations shall come. Um, we know Jesus is the desire of all nations and, 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 you, and you preach that, that Jesus is what everybody really wants. And I think that um, coming here has opened that door and made that even more resonant for me. So that, um, I won't go on too much longer, but that's that's sort of been a quick overview. It's hard, it's hard to overview four years, really, but uh, that's a quick overview of the things that I've learned, what I've noticed, what I've been able to take part into. You're still muted, Bishop. I think that it's, it's most noteworthy, most noteworthy that in an institution and in the kind of institution 
where there would be the presumption among us that it is uh, holistically anti-God, anti-Christ. Okay, any institution is going to have elements, but to say that's that's all it is. That's just just monolithic. That, but to the contrary. To find that there is hunger and there is desire and there is appetite because, as you said, the scripture teaches us that Jesus is the desire of all nations. He is what everybody wants. It's just that they, in many instances, don't know that he is the, the fulfillment, the satisfaction of their desire. Very powerful. And uh, I don't know that the thing that eats me is that I feel fairly certain that many Christians do not have that as their mindset or as language. In other words, they don't know that he's the desire of all nations because we preachers have told them people really don't want to be saved, but just stand anyhow. People don't want God, but just persevere anyhow. In other words, we've got a product that nobody wants, but you try to sell it now here, okay? To the contrary, the product that we have is what everybody really wants. It's just that they're misguided because there's a supernatural blindness that has been superimposed upon them by Satan. That's a different perspective. That's a different mindset. And so to, to have that mindset, number one, and then to have language for that mindset. I think, well, you tell me, what, is, what has that done to and for you in terms of enabling and empowering you to be, not just do, but to be the witness? I think that one of the first questions I asked you, I think it was you, maybe before we, before I left, um, I had a conversation, I believe it was with you, about what it means to be an effective example. And one of the things that I think you said was uh, that that you you yourself are the first sermon, I believe you said something along those lines, that they will see, or at least you are the best embodiment of the gospel first. The first the thing that they're going to notice is not necessarily just the words that come out of your mouth, but the example that you are. And I think that that, that carried me because uh, I think that they noticed through your character. Uh, are you on time for class? You know, every project that you set yourself to do, do you do it well and with an excellent spirit? Uh, you know, I'm reminded again of a, a biblical example. I'm reminded of Daniel and his friends, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, you know, they, in order to be who God called them to be, they had to be skillful. They had to have a certain level of wisdom. Uh, and, you know, and I think that, that that principle in and of itself made me realize that it extends to every part of who I am. If, uh, if they hear Jesus, but don't see Jesus, it won't make the impact uh, that I believe it could. And I think that seeing Christ and everything, it also meant that there weren't places that in t that I couldn't go. There are places that I can't go. The narrow way, you talked about narrow way. There are places that you couldn't go, but I can go anywhere and be who God called you to be. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, study abroad, study in a foreign country and still maintain a level of integrity and still live the life of Christ and still, you know, People get scared by these terms of righteousness, holiness, which just means staying in right standing with God, keeping those principles of prayer, you know, study of the word. Um, and and I think it's and, and keeping in tune too with what my pastor is preaching and teaching every week. And I think that that's that's something that's really um, carried me forward as well. Uh, it's it's given me the, the power to to understand that, you know that I'm not in these spaces for no reason. I'm not here by, you know, happenstance, that I, I am here for a reason on purpose. Um, and, and, and then not only that, but everything that I desire to do in the natural, whether that's related to criminal justice, whether that's becoming 
a lawyer, whether that's, you know, entering into the realm of politics um, as an elected official, et cetera, that truly um, God needs someone to go into these fields. You know, I'm reminded again of uh, a passage of scripture, Luke chapter four, mm-hmm. Jesus stands up in the synagogue to read and he says, and I think it was an impactful message you preached one time called the anointing of Jesus. The mm. spirit of the Lord is upon me for he hath anointed me to mm. preach the gospel to the poor. Uh, you know, deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, mm-hmm. and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, if I want to go and free people out of prison, that sounds like deliverance to the captives. You it know, is. if I want recovery of sight to the blind, well, it sounds like somebody needs might need long term health care as well. Mm-hmm. So all of those, mm-hmm. all of those things are interrelated into what I believe God has called us that you need to be anointed, the person and power of the spirit of God to do everything that God's called you to do. Uh, uh, Deacon Briscoe always used to uh, quote that. I don't know if they do. Uh, Acts 10, 38, where he said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power and went about healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. The, the gospel has the solution for all of that. And I believe that if I want to enter into public service, uh, if I want to, whatever God's called me to do, it's going to require it's going to require a greater uh, a greater solution than just what the world has to offer. It's going to take wisdom from another world, and I think that's the that's the reality of it. If the natural came into existence by the power of the supernatural, then the natural cannot be enhanced and maintained except through the power of the supernatural. Absolutely. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his power to proclaim and to present his gospel is what is critical. And to know that that there are those who embrace that. Jesus said, go into Cornell University and preach. That's not exactly what he said. He said, go into all the world and preach, but that is exactly what he said. And in many instances, we've stayed outside these various worlds. We've stayed outside these various systems and preached. And thank God for that preaching. But he really intends for us to go into those worlds and preach. Uh, Thank God that there are those who can keep both. There's some who go into those worlds and we don't hear from them anymore because they've been consumed by those worlds. And then there are those who preach, but they don't go anywhere. And I don't mean physically go somewhere, but I mean they don't they don't permeate <clears throat> into uh, realms, certain realms that can exist in your city. You know, there are many of us who don't realize that in our own cities, there are realities and there are worlds to which we are oblivious and that are in some extent oblivious to us. For example, there are buildings that we've never gone into. We don't know what activities go on. We don't know what meetings take place there. And in many instances, there are millions of dollars that are being moved in the community by conversations that are being held just one wall away from us or just one block away from us. And uh, God sends us into those worlds. He sends us into those worlds with the supernatural ability of God. Um, we could stay there a long time, but but we must move on. Tell us, uh, Brother Daniel, a little bit about what's next for you. Obviously, you're about to um, come out of this university with your degree, but I understand that another aspect of your path has already been laid. Share that with um, our our viewers and listeners and our fellowship. Yes, I am grateful that I do know that next step as of right now. Uh, so next year, essentially, there's something called the Schwartzman Scholarship. Uh, Miss Adea Sturkey, she might be watching as well. She was one of the first ones from our region, our county, Marion, South Carolina, to receive that. It fully funds young people, uh, but really, I mean, people from the ages of 18 to 30, from 39 different countries around the world to pursue a master's of global affairs 
uh, in Beijing, China at Tsinghua University. I'm still having trouble with pronouncing that name, but guy, uh, but uh, in Beijing, China for one year. And, you know, it prepares, it's uh, named after Steve Schwartzman, who is the uh, founder, CEO of Blackstone, one of the largest private equity groups in the United States. And he always, you know, he had, it's interesting that he had the foresight to understand that there would need to be uh, American students in China, we would need to create those relationships and ties far beyond, you know, the precarious nature of the U.S.-China relationship we even see right now. So uh, it's a it's a it's a great foresight, and I'm glad that. And I think that if it weren't for programs like that, we might even be in more of a a more um, uh, I don't know rough and 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 and, and weird, precarious, again, I think that's the best word, precarious relationship with China than we are right now. But really, these are young people that um, from every sector of society, like you talked about, some that want to go into healthcare, like Sister Sturkey, she's in medical school now. There are some people uh, that want to become a diplomat, go into foreign service. There are some people that actually um, use this degree and um, pursue going into uh, into uh, politics as well, government. There, this was majorly uh, created for people that uh, really want to go into finance as well, to penetrate that part of the business world. Uh, there are some people that have gone on to divinity school. There, I mean, there's so many different aspects of what you can do after you use this degree. Uh, I, I think I, I came upon this really just wanting to look into rural China. Uh, just being from a rural place in South Carolina, they have had a lot of poverty alleviation programs that have lifted over, I believe, 100 million people out of poverty uh, in the past 30 years, and uh, which is a lot of people don't know about. And so, uh, you know, I think that coming from a, a rural place, I wanted to see what, what parts of that can we take back to our hometown as we're amidst revitalization and all of these other things. And, um, and so we'll see what, what becomes of this. I am uh, very excited, uh, you know, a little uh, just unsure about what's, what it's going to look like, but I, um, by the help of God, I'll, I'll go through with it. So. Yeah, that's a little bit about it. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> I think that's, I think that that's uh, outstanding. It is remarkable. Lots of good words we could use, but it's certainly strategic. Um, and I'm certain that everyone involved has an agenda. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just an acknowledgement that that um, agendas don't always mean this, but they sometimes mean this. What's in it for me? Okay, so the the nation has that. The sponsoring institution has that. Everybody kind of has. How does what happens here advance what I'm trying to advance? So it might not be what's in it for me personally, but what's in it for the cause. Um, that I represent. It's interesting that this month, April 20th, what is that? Um, I guess that's uh, Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday is Chinese Language Day. Um, and we mentioned this morning that New Life Academy, they're in, uh, well, based out of the uh, New Life Prophetic Ministries there under the leadership of Bishop Parker, Prophetess Parker, uh, Elder Forward is the principal of that school and a, a tremendous charter school. I mean, excellent. A part of, I think it's Gwinnett County. I may have the wrong county, but um, the county district schools there in uh, Georgia and the, the official language or the central language for the school is Mandarin Chinese. And they're teaching grade school children Mandarin Chinese, um, you know, imagine children who've gone through that particular training now connecting with the Schwarzman movement and so forth. They'd have such an advantage. And again, they're being grounded in the foundation of the principles of God and all of that. It's astounding. 
brothers and sisters, we're talking about the fact that our God is God of the macrocosm. We're talking about the fact that he's God of the big picture. We're talking about the fact that he is God who is relevant after Sunday morning worship or Saturday if you are a seventh day uh, worshiper. You understand that his principles are relevant. You've heard uh, Brother Daniel here several times in talking about his matriculation through the university make reference to scripture. That is because the principles of the kingdom of God, as they are found and founded in and upon the scripture, have relevance to every aspect of life. And it is my honor to continue to say to you, many of you are much younger than I. Uh, some of you are peers, Brother Daniel. I saw Brother Cortland Woods on here, for example. Uh, I saw Brother Jaron Campbell. And there are others from other areas who are peers uh, with this young man and represent his generation. And then there are those um, who are millennials. And then there are those who are just a little above um, or just a little beneath. The purpose of God for your life is more poignant now, is more pressing now than it's ever been. Anything that's telling you to draw back, anything that's telling you to stop, anything that's telling you to quit, anything that's telling you that you're all washed up and done and done for, that is the voice of the enemy. That is not the voice of our God. Our God is calling you to walk with him in bringing the macrocosm to awareness of who he really is. Those who don't know the Bible would not appreciate the verse that was lifted up because it is a verse. I realize that it is a verse that out of all the preaching that I've heard down through my years, it is a verse that I never heard anybody emphasize um, as we have emphasized it. And that's not to bring glory to myself. I'm just telling you the truth. Haggai chapter two and verse seven, the Bible says, God says, and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, said the Lord of hosts. The desire of all nations. <clears throat> we, we, there's a lily in the valley. So we know he's the lily of the valley. We know he's the bright and morning star. We know he's the rose of Sharon. We know he's the wheel in the middle of the wheel and all of that. But many of us do not know that the Bible says he is the desire of all nations. He is what every human being wants at their core. Now, are those desires twisted in many instances? Of course, of course. Are they misrepresented? Are they exploited? Yes, yes, that's what the devil does. He's a liar. But underneath all of that, I think it's C.S. Lewis, but, but many of the great theologians have said it, that at the center of every human being, there is a void. Some call it a God spot. Others have called it a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. He has reserved it for himself. And all of these various fields, politics, uh, economics, all the various sciences, um, the various other fields, all of those are expressions of himself. And he can use those things as a means to fill the void. <clears throat> and then having filled the void, use those things to greater and uh, to more greatly and more fully express his glory to a world that lies in darkness. It's absolutely exciting. <clears throat> and Sister Clemens, I'm like you. I feel the spirit of the living God all over this teaching. Yes, ma'am, I do too. Uh, Brother Daniel, I'd like to give you a final word, please, just before we conclude. And then I want to make an announcement or two. Uh, just give us a final comment, sir, and then we're going to close. Thank you all for, for staying with us. Go right ahead, sir. Yes, sir. I won't be too long, but I just want to, to say to you, first of all, thank you, especially <laughs> given that I'm not in my profession yet. Uh, I want to say thank you for just thinking enough of me to have me on uh, to all the Fellowship of Canaan Professionals. I look up so much to uh, what you do and what you mean to the body of Christ. Uh, I think that this is so needed. Uh, you go to many other settings and you don't, I, I, it's been overstated, but you don't see this type of teaching and, and a definitely a network like this um, 
that that is to enhance every part of our lives beyond the four walls um, of our congregations. So I just appreciate you. I thank God for you to my peers that are on here. Um, I, I just want to see you, you named a couple of them and uh, I just uh, I appreciate also what they mean as well. And just, I want to encourage them to, to, to keep uh, pursuing what God um, has, has called them to do. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I believe that God will continue to order their steps as well. I pray that God continues to order their steps. Uh, you know, uh, pray for me as well, just as I keep going forward. And uh, that's pretty much, that's pretty much all, Bishop. Uh, thank thank you. you. Thank you. I thought I saw Sister Crosland on here, Sister Angela Crosland, who is Brother James's mother. And I think she would say, as many parents say, um, to their children, your profession is school. <laughs> you know, so you are in your profession for the time being. You're in your, your profession is get this education. And uh, um, thank you, sir. It is appropriate to have you because although you've not entered into formal profession, you represent preparation and preparation is such a critical key. Our theme from last time, being, becoming, doing, you're in a major phase of the becoming. And uh, there are many of us who are um, in a profession, but who are going back to uh, further become because there's more in us than what's been exhibited and demonstrated thus far. And so thank you, sir. We honor you. We believe in you and we will be praying. And I ask all of the uh, FKP associates here to please be prayerful for Brother James and for all of those who are in his generation, all right? That even includes our children. My son and uh, Brother James are about the same age. So all of us, all of us. So we're going to adjourn. Thank you so much for being with us, brothers and sisters. Again, Brother, uh, Brother Daniel James, thank you uh, for being with us. All right. Well, brothers and sisters, I know you've been blessed mightily. I've been blessed. I love to hear our young people and our older people share what is happening in their lives and how God is developing them. We are the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals. You are God's professional wherever you are, regardless of how lofty or how lowly it might seem that your position is. God has positioned you to bring honor and glory to him and to bring help and good to people. And so until we meet again, my dear brothers and sisters, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals reminding you that our God is God of the macrocosm. He's bigger than many people imagine him to be. Go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, we are determined to bring pleasure to Christ's heart and to bring fame to his name. Until we meet again, may the peace of God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.